Welcome to FX in Focus, where our mission is to celebrate the talent and ideas that contribute to the global B2B payments industry. Please join us as we ask thought leaders at CorePay Cross-Border and across the payment industry pressing questions and capture their vision on a variety of topics. I'm Rob Bensick, Regional Director FX Dealing at CorePay, and you're listening to this week's episode, Capitulation, Q3 2023 Currency Market Outlook. As markets shift, corporate treasurers and CFOs need to keep up, so we have lots to unpack. We'd love to hear your feedback and suggestions, so please email us at podcast at corepay.com. Note the opinions expressed on FX and Focus are those of the speakers only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Corpay or Fleet Corps Inc. In today's episode, I'll be talking with Carl Shimoda and Peter Dragisevich with Corpay Cross Border. Gentlemen, welcome back to the FX and Focus podcast. Today, we're going to Thank be you. talking about resilience in the global economy, so let's get started. Carl, I'll direct my first question to you. Resilience seems to be the word everyone's using to describe the global economy. Why have economists, central bankers, and market participants had to keep pushing their recession forecasts into the future? <laughs> yes, let's put it more bluntly. Um, just about every forecaster out there, uh, including ourselves, has gotten it wrong repeatedly and in a big way for most of the post-pandemic period. <laughs> you know, we've been doing okay in terms of seeing where FX rates might go. But on the biggest question of the age, figuring out when rate hikes would slow the global economy, we just keep missing the boat. And I know, you know, a lot of the bears out there are starting to feel a little like the boy who cried wolf. But, you know, I think the answer is that this just isn't a normal business cycle. You know, a bunch of things happened early on in the pandemic recovery. Things like, you know, governments launching fiscal spending increases that were too large too untargeted and too persistent. And, and, you know, that lifted global demand and put enormous strain on supply chains, but it also gave wages a big kick upward. At the same time, of course, central banks engineered a big drop in borrowing rates, and that allowed people to term out their debts at incredibly cheap levels um, and do a lot of, you know, refinancing activity that helped to bolster uh, savings accounts. And, you know, all of these things have seriously disrupted the normal monetary policy transmission process. So, you know, if we take a look at where we're at right now, unemployment is now near historic lows in most developed economies. Consumers are still spending. Growth rates remain largely positive. And asset prices are back to uh, post-pandemic highs, even after one of the fastest monetary tightening cycles on record. And, you know, over the last month, markets seem to have gone into almost a capitulation phase, uh, suddenly coming to grips with the idea that the economy might be all right after all. But, you know, if we take a step back from all of that, the sheer breadth and diversity of recession indicators that are currently flashing red, inverted yield curves, tighter bank lending standards, weak manufacturing activity, low copper and oil prices, depressed consumer confidence, all of those things would suggest that a correction is underway. So we think that global growth rates will slow sequentially in the third and fourth quarters as the lagging impact of higher rates hits the real economy in a harder way and as household demand continues to normalize relative to pre-pandemic levels. You know, as we all know, the wolf really does show up at some point in the story, and it's usually after everyone has stopped worrying about him. Good point, Carl. Uh, let's hope the wolf is as equally as uncertain as the rest of us and stays away. Peter, I'll shift to you with my next topic. How are the central banks dealing with still overheated economies and sticky core inflation levels? Are they going to keep hiking rates or are the doves gaining the upper hand finally? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. And we are at a very interesting point in the cycle. Uh, you know, without doubt, inflation trends remain critical 
and will be an ongoing driver of FX and broader markets. And although headline inflation has started to mechanically come down because of things like lower oil prices compared to a year ago, core inflation, which actually strips out these volatile items and is a gauge of persistent pressures, unfortunately, they remain uncomfortably high, particularly for, for central bankers. And this reflects the very tight labour market conditions that we're still seeing in a lot of developed economies and faster wage growth. Uh, indeed, in, uh, in places like the UK, core inflation has worryingly started to re-accelerate. So central banks are under no illusions about the inflation challenge that still remains in place. However, markets may be somewhat vulnerable, I think, to a further reality check over the period ahead. It's a very hard pill to swallow, but to break the back of a services kind of wages-driven inflation problem like we now have, an extended period of very restrictive policy, weaker growth, and higher unemployment is, is what's needed. And with this in mind, and based on the lessons from the 70s when policymakers loosen settings too quickly at the first signs of inflation turning down, um, we, we do expect the major central banks to continue to tighten settings over the next few months, even in the face of slowing uh, growth. So in the US, we see at least two more rate hikes from the Fed. Likewise, from the ECB, we've got more rate hikes to come over the next couple of months. While in the UK, the Bank of England should deliver even more given its sticky kind of services inflation problem. In Canada, we're looking for one more rate rise. And in Australia, we think the RBA is going to likely to announce one to two more increases over the next few months. Uh, importantly, given the persistence of inflation and the time it takes for all these restrictive settings to work and for slowing growth to feed through to the labour market, we don't actually see rate cuts occurring until about mid-2024 in many major economies. As a reminder, as a good rule of thumb, if you look back over the last four cycles in the US, the average time gap from the last Fed rate hike to the first cut has been about nine months. In Australia, the average gap has been about 11 months. And given where inflation now is and the economic resilience, you could argue that this time it could take even longer for, for central banks to kind of change course. Hey, that's great. Thanks very much for your insight, Peter. And uh, thankfully, the policymakers seem to have remembered the mistakes made in the past. So let's hope they keep it up. Carl, shifting back to you with this next topic and uh, on, on the yen, what role is the yen playing in markets right now? Are, are we seeing a recovery in carry trade activity or are traders too nervous about policy changes from the Bank of Japan or outright currency intervention? Right. So, you know, the, the yen has been a big laggard uh, since the major central banks began raising rates in early 2022. And this year, it is the worst performer among the majors that we follow most closely. So, you know, all of this relates to the fact that the Bank of, of Japan has uh, stuck with its yield curve control policy uh, in which it buys, you know, long term bonds and keeps interest rates capped for far longer than many expected. And, and as a result, we are seeing a resumption in, in carry trade activity. Some speculators are taking out borrowing positions in yen and investing the proceeds in higher yielding jurisdictions. That is helping to lift global asset prices 
generally when we do have you know access to cheap funding available somewhere in the world that does tend to support asset prices on a global level but we are seeing some signs of hesitance uh, folks are trending you know relatively carefully here because the ministry of finance is making noises about currency intervention uh, it looks like they want to defend the 145, 145 to 155 range roughly against the dollar and the Bank of Japan is coming under pressure to work against rising inflation by shifting policy in a more hawkish direction. So if we do see, you know, shifts in this in the in the policy landscape here, we could see a reset in the yen that goes, you know, much higher. That could hurt carry traders who are sitting on leveraged positions. But we also think that the that the authorities are going to be unable to drive sort of a big adjustment in relative yield differentials. And so we think that ultimately we'll get a big move higher, followed by a plateau for a, a prolonged period of time. Perfect. Thanks, Carl. Peter, we'll cross the Sea of Japan. What do you think about the Chinese yuan? Like the rest of the world, they've got several real concerns. Uh, would, a, would a big round of stimulus help or hinder the exchange rate? Uh, look, you know, developments in China will be a key focus for the region, uh, the global economy and markets over the next couple of quarters. To date, China's emergence from its COVID hibernation has really underwhelmed uh, early, earlier bullish expectations. You know, think back to the start of the year, China's reopening was assumed by many to be a source of support for global growth. The weakness in China is, is actually coming through from, from several fronts. So China's manufacturing and trade sectors are exposed to the global slowdown, with the switch by consumers away from goods to services quite impactful. And internally, there's actually a crisis of confidence. So past measures designed to quell risks in the property market are still biting. Consumer sentiment in China is well below average, unsurprising given the extended lockdowns and the growth risks. And youth unemployment is now quite high. Now, we, we don't think that the policymakers will stand for this much longer. There has already been some movement on the monetary side, with some modest easing already occurring. But based on the sluggish recovery and the headroom available because of China's very weak inflation pulse, we think more forceful measures to in, reinvigorate the economy are, are coming. So the, the late Ju July Politburo meeting looks to be a possible time for more concrete announcements to, to come through. But what is important for markets and the yuan is really around what is announced and where the focus of the stimulus will be. In our view, given the state of play in China and the ongoing financial stability concerns around the property market, you know, measures are more likely to be aimed at boosting labor-intensive consumption growth rather than commodity-intensive infrastructure spending. And although this isn't the most optimal, optimal mix for currencies like the Aussie, you know, a pickup in China's economy should be somewhat supportive for the region's uh, growth prospects. And when it comes to the yuan, which has actually weakened quite a bit recently because of the diverging kind of policy stance of the PBOC and the other central banks, we believe an improvement in China's economic fortunes on the back of more fiscal spending should actually encourage capital inflows, particularly as it is going to be set to occur when growth momentum across other major economies will continue to be slowing. So we actually think that diverging, those diverging growth trends should in time actually be supportive for, for the yuan over the medium term. 
appreciate the observations, Peter, and appreciate you touching on some of the, the the big news that we're seeing coming out of China with the property markets and the lack of confidence and that unemployment rate that you touched on with the youth. Back to Mr. Shimada. Uh, Carl, is the euro headed for a more difficult winter? What sort of headwinds do you expect for the EU? Yeah, so, you know, somewhat counterintuitively, we think that some of the biggest energy tail risks actually are fading for the euro area. You know, after a concerted effort uh, among policymakers, among you know businesses to cut consumption and diversify supply sources, gas prices have fallen to an 18-month low. And if you look at current storage levels, they're tracking well above seasonal norms, even if we go back to the period you know before the invasion of of Ukraine. So we think that the likelihood of a of a shock has actually diminished drastically relative to where we were last year, and perhaps even to you know relative to years prior to that. Now, of course, you know, at the same time, speaking more broadly, we think that the euro is fundamentally undervalued at current levels. We're still concerned about a credit contraction. We, we doubt that growth will blow the doors off anytime soon, but we do think that the common currency has some room to grind higher against the dollar, even if the ECB stops hiking before the Fed. So some positives that you see for the euro. That's great. Thanks, Carl. Coming back to you, Peter, what might be the biggest vulnerabilities emerge if asset prices retreat and we finally do enter a global economic turndown? Yeah, look, uh, you know, history shows that very abrupt interest rate hiking cycles by the US Fed and other central banks do end up creating unintended consequences somewhere in the system at some point as those long and variable lags kick in. And especially once the macro amplifiers, so things like high debt levels or rising unemployment start to generate kind of adverse economic outcomes. This remains a clear risk going forward uh, for the world economy based on the speed and scale of the tightening that has so far been delivered. And as we mentioned before, we've, we've a bit more to, to come. And in FX, you know, cyclical growth-linked currencies like the Aussie, the Kiwi, CAD, Asian FX and other emerging markets tend to struggle when global economic activity is slowing. This, is, this backdrop is part of my rationale for the Aussie to continue to underperform on the cross rate, so against the euro, sterling, and even against the yen uh, going forward. But an even more negative global environment would only add to these pressures. But I actually don't think all currencies um, should be tarred with the same brush. You know, in G10, I think the, the Kiwi stands out as being particularly at risk. Uh, this is on the back of the more challenging domestic growth outlook in New Zealand because of the RBNZ's very aggressive rate increases. And with New Zealand nearly needing to fund a very large external imbalance. So New Zealand's current account deficit is now around 9% of GDP. Yeah, by contrast, Australia actually runs a current account surplus of more than 1% of GDP, which is actually a downside cushion for the Aussie. But again, the CAD also looks relatively shaky given the weak private sector balance sheets. And it also has a current account deficit of around a half a percent to 1% of GDP. And across EM, you know, countries with similar debt and external imbalances that need to be watched include India, uh, the Philippines, Chile, and obviously the usual suspects in South Africa and also Turkey. Peter, appreciate your take. I agree with it. I'd ask you both to chime in for this last question. Carl, I'll start with you, but I'll look forward to Peter's comments afterwards. What's your outlook on the US dollar? Will it see the rapid decline most forecasters are predicting? 
Yeah, well, I should start by saying that uh, most fundamental models say that the greenback remains deeply overvalued against the euro, the pound, and the yen. So we think that the correction that began last year will continue to unfold over the next 12 months. We're somewhat in consensus there um, in thinking that the you know trade-weighted exchange rate will underperform relative to many of the world's biggest economies. That said, we don't expect that decline to prove as fast-paced or as sustained as a consensus would suggest. You know, we think that renewed financial turbulence, uh, much as you know Peter is describing there, could increase the currency's uh, safe haven appeal. And from our perspective, the key factors that have traditionally driven sort of secular dollar depreciation cycles, things like falling short-term yields in the U.S. and relative outperformance in other parts of the global economy, aren't likely to follow sort of long-standing patterns. And so, you know, instead, rate cuts from the Federal Reserve might lag uh, monetary loosening at rival central banks, particularly those that Peter mentioned earlier, as consumer demand sort of slumps more dramatically in other industrialized economies. So, you know, we are broadly within consensus, but at the same time, not expecting that nice steady decline that many others are. Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah, and just to add to Carl's points, I just think that the volatility that we've observed in, in not just the US dollar, but other assets like bonds over the past few months is likely to continue over, over Q3. Yeah, there's still a lot of water to go under the bridge. We are in a very challenging part of the economic cycle uh, where pa past policy tightening could really start to come to the surface very quickly now. And different countries with different imbalances and fundamentals will start to experience very different outcomes. So I don't think this is reflected in a range of asset markets at present. You know, risk sentiments still quite high. You've got equities quite elevated with aggregate earnings forecasts still quite lofty. Yes, and credit spreads are still very tight, yet yield curves are quite uh, inverted. So. At face value, I think an unwind of these optimistic expectations about the, the macro outlook could be a bit of a boost for the dollar over the next couple of months. However, at the same time, you, you know, you shouldn't forget that FX is a relative price. So things like tentative steps by the BOJ to normalize its policy stance, stimulus measures by China that, re, that encourages capital inflows into the yuan, and all the rate hikes by other major central banks, such as the ECB and the Bank of England, are actually offsetting for factors that we hadn't seen at the early stages of the US dollar kind of upswing about a year ago. That's perfect. Thank you very much. And that brings us to the end of our podcast for today. You've been listening to Peter Dragicevich and Carl Shimoda. I'm your host, Rob Bensick. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you want to keep up with more news and views, make sure to subscribe wherever you're tuning in from. FX and Focus is a podcast written and produced by Corpay, a fleet core company. The opinions expressed in FinTech and Focus are those of our guests only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Corpay or fleet core. To submit questions or comments or to recommend a topic, please again email us at podcast at Thanks very much for tuning in and have a great day.